But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Good morning, everyone. That's kind of a short reading. The last part of it, though, is what I want to call to your attention. He's, he's talking about, of course, the, the situation here was that, that uh, Jesus had cast out demons and he had made a man who couldn't speak or hear whole. And then uh, they had accused him of casting out demons by the uh, strength of the devil and, and Jesus refuted that. And then he said, he that is not with me is against me and he that gathers not with me scatters. Um, Jesus is asking us to take a position in this life either with him or against him. There's no middle ground. There's a line drawn in the sand, basically. You're either on this side or you're on that side. There's no compromising. There's no non-committal. You're either for Jesus or you're against him. That's what this text says. The fact that good and evil exist it should be a non-controversial subject. Good and evil are not magical terms. They're not mythical terms. They're not mysterious terms. They're philosophical terms, philosophies. But they're still real. Good is real. Evil is real. They're actually there. They're, they're present. It's often, uh, good is often confused or evil is often confused with good and good with evil by opponents of uh, the good. But you know, you, you never confuse good with evil by design. You never try to make good evil. You always try to make evil good. That's the way it works. Nobody wants to make good works look bad. Everybody wants to make bad works look good. Good things never want to look bad. Bad things always want to look good. We know that evil exists. We know that good exists. Now, a, a young ruler or individual came to uh, Jesus. A young ruler did and then another lawyer did. And they, they asked him the same question. And that question was, uh, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? But the, the lawyer made the statement. He said, he said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is found in Luke 18, verse 18 through 19. Now, Jesus responded by saying, why do you call me good? In other words, the man didn't even know what he was talking about when he said good master, when he called him good. Jesus wanted to make a distinction he said, there's none good but God. So he made that clear distinction. Now, again, we know that good and evil exist. We also know that the Bible clearly identifies things that are evil and that God is opposed to things that are evil. He didn't, he didn't call Jesus evil master. He called him good master. 
But there is a distinction, and the Bible makes a very clear distinction between evil and good. In the Old Testament, for instance, in Psalms 37, verse 27, the writer said, depart from evil and do good. So he said, quit doing evil, start doing good. There's a, there's a distinction, there's a difference. Psalms 97, verse 10 says, you that love the Lord hate evil. He didn't say hate evil people. He said hate evil. In Psalms, or Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, he says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Not evil people, but to hate evil. To hate evil, to pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate, the psalmist said, or the writer of Proverbs said. Romans 12, verse 1, the Apostle Paul said, don't be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. There's a possibility that there's a struggle going on, and good can be overcome by evil, or evil can overcome good. 1 Peter 3.11 says, Refuse evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Romans 12.9, Abhor that which is evil, cleave that which is good. Now there's a tension between good and evil, and it arises when these two forces of good and evil are encapsulated inside the individual. That's the only time there's a tension. You know what tension is? If you try to break a stick, for instance, if you take a limb and try to break it, you, you create a tension. There's a tension that is a, a struggle within the individual between wanting to do good and wanting to do evil. This, this was clearly seen when Jesus was in a controversy with the devil. The devil was trying to make him, creating the tension, trying to make Jesus do something that Jesus did not want to do and was not going to do. There was a tension. Jesus overcame it, of course. He was being wooed by the devil to sin against his father. And the devil was trying to apply the, the pursuit of the flesh and the tension of the flesh to get strength enough to overcome Jesus' resistance to evil and his posture with good. It was an inward struggle, and it's the same struggle that you have and that I have every day. It's a conflict between the spirit of man and the, and the flesh. What we want to do that's wrong, and we should not be doing it, but we have a tension. We we have an appeal to do what is wrong. Romans chapter 7, verse 18, Paul describes it this way. He said, I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwells no good thing, for to will is present with me, but to how to perform that which is good, I, I can't find it. For the good that I would do, I don't. But the evil which I would do, that would not do, I do that. He said, now, if I do that that I don't want to do, it's no more I that doeth, but sin that dwells in me. So there's the tension. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Christ Jesus 
our Lord so that with I, with my mind, I myself serve the law of God, with the flesh, the law of sin. There's the tension. Galatians 5, verse 16 and 17. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There's a way to get out of it, obviously. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary one to the other, so you cannot do the things that you would. It's a struggle, basically, between the forces of wickedness and the forces of goodness. Unrighteousness and righteousness. Now, when we talk about evil, we're not talking about the individual that is basically doing bad things. We're talking about the force of evil that's encouraging the individual to do the wrong thing. The word evil simply means bad. So when we talk about doing evil, we're talking about doing things that are bad. Bad for you, bad for your family, bad for your friends, bad for your neighborhood, bad for your society, bad. Doing bad things that are harmful, detrimental. That's what we talk about, but that's evil, you see. Now the forces of evil are different from the individual that's doing the evil. The forces of evil are the individuals who are promoting the evil. Now, if a person is simply doing something bad, that doesn't mean they're promoting it. It means they're involved in it, they're caught into it up to their neck, but that doesn't mean they're promoting it. We need to keep that in mind. Colossians 3 at verse 23 says, Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But he that does the wrong shall receive for the wrong that he has done, and there is no respect of persons. So there is, a, there is a consequence of our evil. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 8, Let us therefore keep the feast, not with the leaven, the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion has light with darkness. So we have a choice along this line. That's what Jesus said. He that's not with me is against me. In 1 Peter chapter 2, or 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, says, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation to reserve the unjust until the day of judgment to be punished. There is a consequence. So when you do bad, there's a consequence now because you're affecting other people. You're affecting yourself. You're affecting society. But there's also a consequence personally that will come later on in the day of judgment. Second Peter chapter 2 at verse 14 and 15 says, Having eyes full of adultery, you cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, a heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, falling away of Balaam, the son of Besor, who love the wages of unrighteousness. From these texts, and from our own experience, we definitely know that evil is a culture. Our parents used to say, oh, look how bad things are getting. And we look back and we sort of say, well, things are getting bad with us too, but we sort of minimize it. What's happening is 
that bad is, is actually promulgating itself. And it is getting worse. It's not getting any better. Even though our parents saw it, they didn't see what we're seeing. Even though there was evil then, it's not as bad or as, as extensive as it is now. It's just getting worse and worse. That's what Paul said. Evil, he said that uh, evil men shall wax worse and worse. So when we're talking about evil, we're, we're talking about a culture that we're seeing that's pretty well becoming overwhelmed with evil. And if you stand against it, you're standing almost by yourself because evil has become a culture that we're absorbed in, basically. Evil, um, I need to mention this, evil, evil uh, exists and it thrives. Evil thrives. It uh, calls upon us to accept it. Evil, as a philosophy, wants us to approve it and to practice it. Evil is not content to simply exist. Evil recruits subjects. Evil musters a following. Evil demands compliance. Evil pressures us to engage it ourselves. Evil will not simply remain static. Evil will promote itself and grow worse and worse and worse. Don't be surprised. It's there and it's going to continue. And evil is a force. You believe the Bible. I believe the Bible. Not only that, but I can see it. I'm not stupid and neither are you. To, be, to, to think that evil isn't here and that it's not a culture and it's not a force would be ignorance gone to seed. We know it's here. It's here all around us. Ephesians 6.12 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood. There is a power behind evil culture. He said, but we wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Again, it's not just the Bible thumper who recognizes that evil is prevalent. It can be seen everywhere. We see it all the time. We hear it on the radio, over, over radio waves. We see it on television. We see it in our job. We see it in our environment. We see it in our neighborhood. We see it everywhere. We see our young people. We see our older people. We see, we see evil permeating all of our culture all around us. And it's not just in this country. It's in every country. Jesus said, if you are not with me, you're against me. So we have to kind of strike a posture that says, okay, I'm not going to go along with it. That's basically where we're at. 1 Peter 5 verse 9 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour. He said, and Peter said, Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Evil is in the world. That's where it is. If you're in the world, you're going to be surrounded by it all the time. Now, John 15, verse 18, 19, Jesus said this, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Now, why would the world hate you? Because you're not participating in what the world 
conceive to be what you should be doing. Evil is not going to be satisfied to leave you alone. It will not. Evil wants you to practice what they're practicing. Not necessarily the person that's just fallen victim to it, but the ones who are promoting it. It is being promoted by different ones. Now, in in uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. Now, as long as we're in the world, we're separated from God. So we have to step out of the world and step into the world of our Lord Jesus Christ and stand apart from the world and from the evil involved in the world. Okay. Ephesians 2 at verse 11 says, Wherefore, remember ye being in the time present, Gentiles in the flesh, they were called uncircumcision by that which is called this, the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Without God in the world. If you're in the world, you're without God. You have to come out of the world. Well, we come out of the world by coming into Jesus Christ. If we ignore the fact that, it, that evil is relentless in recruiting us, we put ourselves in a vulnerable position. Jesus not only was uh, not deceived, but he counsels us also not to be deceived. Evil is treacherous. Evil is sneaky. As such, Jesus makes his position crystal clear. He said, stand apart. It's just that simple. It's not something he sneaks up on us with and tries to woo us into opposing evil. He said, get out of it. Stand apart of it. Don't be part of it. If you're part of it, you're not part of me. You've got to make your stand. That's what he's saying. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Evil men shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Goodness and righteousness do not deceive anyone. Goodness does not parade itself around in the mask of evil. Goodness is good. Right is right. Wrongness and evil parades itself around in the disguise of trying to be good. We can't fall for that. Paul said, see that you walk circumspectly. That is, keep your eyes open. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. The world is content with the fact that bad principles exist. Evil must be promoted or it will be abandoned. Evil has to be promoted or it'll die. You've got to keep it going. You've got to keep the ball rolling in order to keep evil going. That's the only alternative. Evil insists upon it being incorporated into every aspect of your life and woven into the very fabric of your life and that of your children. It's not satisfied with being static. It will grow worse with time. That's evident. Okay. Evil is active. It's promoted. It's advanced. It demands acceptance. Evil wants approval. 
People do evil things, that happens. Bad things, that happens. But bad things don't have to be promoted, yet evil does promote itself. Some people do. We talk about people, and I, I don't like to think of people evil as being evil, but that's what the word evil means. It means bad. But sometimes people just get caught up, and most of the time they just caught, get caught up in something that's bad. There's a difference in that and promoting it as good. Follow me? I shoot somebody and kill them. That's bad. I shouldn't have done it. I realize that. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. But for me to turn around and promote that as being right is a promotion of evil. You, you follow? I can lie. And when I lie, then I know I'm doing damage. I'm bad. I'm bad. I'm bad. I'm evil. But I don't, if I start promoting lies as being the truth, you see what I'm doing? So what I'm saying is there is such a thing as people that are purely evil. We know that. We can see that every now and then. You, you set it pop up and you see someone who's a murderer or a serial killer or see someone who's, who's completely caught up in evil so much so that they're actually promoting it on TV or radio or whatever it may be in the newspaper, in print, whatever. They're promoting their, their evil as being right. They're trying to justify it as being the way you ought to live. Now, I, I make a distinction in my own mind between that individual and the other individual who simply falls prey to evil. You follow? You just, it just, you just did it and you shouldn't have done it. But then to turn around and promote it as right is the promotion of evil. That's the thing we need to be very, very careful about. Because evil is being nationalized now. Not only, it's been nationalized in France for a long time and overseas. But it's being nationalized and rationalized in this country. It's embraced and it's celebrated. And we're going to, I'm going to talk about two different aspects. One is sex. The other is alcohol and drugs. These evils are being, just, just as illustrations now, I'm not, I'm not on a soapbox against these two particular problems, but just, just to illustrate what's happening in our society and to show that evil is being promoted, actively being promoted. Not just practiced, but promoted. Illicit sexual activity and conduct over the past few decades in this country is, is gone wild. We can identify evil by the word of God and we can identify goodness by the word of God as well. For instance, fornication and adultery are words and concepts that have been taken out of our vocabulary. You don't hear those terms much anymore in polite society. People just don't talk about them. Today there's no such thing as promiscuities. Such things as chastity and the sanctity of marriage it's kind of gone by the wayside. We're sort of ashamed to even talk about sanctity and, and the, the sanctity of marriage. Illicit sex is not only wide, widely practiced, it's encouraged in our youth. We're, talk, we're talking about young people, and when you talk about a young people being a virgin before marriage, it's kind of with contempt. Like, isn't that silly for someone to be a virgin before they get married? That's how widely it's been promoted. The, uh, the old 
free love battle cry of the 60s and 70s, you know, that was the one that everybody was saying, hey, this is, this is the age of free love, the age of Aquarius. But it's become a fact in this age. It's a fact in our, our time. Those who are reluctant to accept this sort of behavior is ridiculed and called judgmental. If you don't accept that sort of evil, but you know, the Bible talks about sex being illicit if it's outside the sanctity of marriage. So any type of sexual activity outside of marriage is wrong. Fornication, adultery, homosexuality, any of this is wrong. That's what the Bible says. The marriage is good. The bed is honorable among all. Marriage is good and honorable among all. And the bed undefiled, but adulterers and whoremongers, God will judge. That's what Hebrews 13, 4 says. So we know the difference between good and evil. But people are saying, no, 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 no. Uh, the evil is good. It's good. It's good for you to experiment before you get married and live together before you get married out of wedlock. Now, I'm not, I'm not blaming people for falling captive to that. What I'm saying is we should not be promoting that. That's the point. Evil is being promoted. People sometimes fall captive of it, and they need to get out of it, obviously, but raising a, a voice against this evil is, is drowned out by the opposition forces because evil rolls on. It has to get larger. It has to get stronger. It has to proselyte. It has to make you accept it as being right. Choosing to confine sex to the sanctuary of marriage is ridicule. More and more we're hearing terms that strive for the dignity of marriage under the cloak of, well, we, we're soulmates or we're in love, or we can't help it. Well, you can help it. We can all help it. We're given a choice. God gave us that choice. He gave us the choice between right and wrong. And Jesus said, here's the choice, with me or against me. That's where he, that's where he made the choice. Um, Colossians 3.5 says that uh, inordinate affection and evil concupiscence are contrary to God. Evil concupiscence means uncontrolled lust. And so does inordinate affection. Same thing. Now let's consider the subject of homosexuality. And again, I'm not trying to hold these up as objects that we want to mount a tirade against. I'm, I'm simply saying, here are the forces of evil that are forcing compliance in our society. And here's what's happening with our society in terms of sexual activities. This uh, homosexuality is, is touted under the, uh, it's not an acronym. It's a, um, what is the term? The LGBTQ, it's not an acronym because it doesn't, it's not like Nassau, you know. You can, you can say NASA, National Association, etc., and you can, you can figure out the name by, by making the statement of the, or pronouncing the word. But this, you don't pronounce this word. It's just initial. So it's a, what, what the dictionary calls an initialism. Anyway, homosexuality is, is being promoted under that and other things. And those who march under that banner want acceptance for their abnormal behavior. They don't just want to do it. 
They want you to make sure that you tell them it's all right to do it and that you teach your children it's all right to do it. Basically. It's accepted as a normal and approved activity. And it is admired. It's being admired. It's given a victory parade. It's given a month, Pride Month. It's made its own flag and it's, it's claimed its own colors. It's won advocates in our government and it's achieved government approval, support, and legal status. And those who oppose it are in danger of governmental interference. If you say, I do not accept that as being the proper behavior, I don't believe it's good, then you are subjected, and I may be subjected because I'm preaching against it, may be subjected to government remonstrance. Anyway, that's how evil works. Evil is saying, you accept my evil, you promote my evil, you endorse my evil, you admire my evil, you make sure that my evil is approved by everyone. Now that's one promoting it. Somebody that's practicing it has fallen prey to it. We advise them, get out of it. Get out of it. But certainly don't promote it. Don't endorse it. Don't continue to try to confuse it with goodness because it's not. It never has been. It's an abnormal behavior. It's abnormal. It's un, un, unnatural. And those who... who uh, do not accept their morals and behavior or told to shut up, be quiet, don't say anything against it. Well, I'm not necessarily talking against it. What I'm saying is that that evil is trying to overwhelm us. And we have to resist it. We have to either say, yes, I'm for it or I'm against it. Do you follow? Alcoholism and drug addiction is the same thing. You know, we've, we've gone far past the idea of of uh, wine being a table drink that's necessary in a dry environment. You know, that's, that's what it was at one time. It was not a social drink. It was a necessary table drink. That's what wine was. And it had very little alcoholic content, just a small matter. But people drank it because milk soured, because water would sometimes get contaminated with bacterial contents. You, get, you contaminate wine or grape juice with bacteria and it makes it in a wine so it, it was the drink that was favored as a table drink but it's turned into a social drink with us now Proverbs chapter 23 verse 19 through 21 made this warning a long time before Jesus came along he said hear my son and be wise and guide your heart in the way be not among wine bibbers don't drink wine he said be not among wine bibbers among riotous eaters of flesh. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe the man with rage. We know what alcohol does. We know, we always have, we've always known what it does. It, it creates havoc. It creates havoc in the family. It creates rage on the highway. It creates murderous intention on in the person who has a gun. When a person gets drunk, they're liable to do anything, and that's bad. That's bad. Alcohol and the consumption of alcohol in a social context is evil. That's all it is. Proverbs 23, verse 30 through 35 says, They that tarry long at the wine, 
They that go to seek mixed wine, look not thou upon the wine when it's red, when it grows, gives its color in the cup. When it moves itself aright, that's when it stirs around, it's bubbling, you know. At the last it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes shall behold strange women. I was drunk, a guy said. I didn't know what I did. I committed fornication. I got someone pregnant. Your eyes behold strange women. Your heart shall utter perverse things. Yet thou shalt be as he that lies down in the midst of the sea or he that lies upon the top of a mast. When you get drunk, you get sick. Social drinking is such a universal pastime. I'm not talking about what was done in the Bible times when Jesus was sitting at a common meal at a, with the table drink. I'm talking about social drinking. Drinking that you don't have to do. Drinking that you want to do because you want to be among the elite because it's the thing to do. Because if you don't drink, then you're some sort of outcast, social outcast. It's not considered a, a, a normal and, and natural activity anymore because it's not a necessary thing. We're long past that time. Drinking alcohol in a social context is, is touted as a mark of culture. If you have a glass of wine, then you're cultured. It's promoted, it's advanced, and it's licensed by the government. And yet it's a killer. Alcoholism is a killer. And you can't become an alcoholic unless you start drinking. That's, why, that's how you become an alcoholic. You have to take the first drink and then you have to keep drinking to become an alcoholic. Or you have to know someone who encourages you to take the first drink to become an alcoholic. Or to let alcohol make a fool of you. Alcoholism is no different than uh, drug addiction. Both evils result in the destruction of the individual and in society. What I'm saying is, alcoholism is bad for you. Being addicted to alcohol is bad for you. It's bad for your family. Alco drinking alcohol leads to the abuse of a child. It, it leads to the abuse of, of a mate. It leads to the abuse of a neighbor. Alcoholism leads to a person killing someone on the highway. That's called manslaughter. We know that's wrong. But what causes it was wrong too. Alcoholism caused it. Jesus was a proponent of goodness. He was not a proponent of sexual immorality or of substance abuse. He was for the family. He was for chastity. He was for sobriety. Now, things that are considered bad for us are things that we should not do. Correct? And things that we should oppose. It's certainly not an easy thing for us to swim against the current in our permissive society. And just understand this. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. You're going to be pressured more and more and more to go along with the crowd. And the crowd is going a long way. Okay. Jesus said, Whosoever is not with me is against me. So in our permissive society with the forces of evil pushing as hard as they can to get us to compromise our convictions and do the evil things, do the bad things, it's going to be tougher and tougher. It's truly like taking up our cross and following Him. It's exactly what it's like. Now, there's another text that, lift, that tells us about 
such individuals who are sympathetic to the work of Christ. Now Jesus said, "Who that's not, who, whoever is not with me is against me." But He also said that you are God, little children, and I've overcome them because greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. You can't overcome. And in addition to this, think about this. There's another statement that he makes that I want to read for you in Mark chapter 9, verse 38 through 41. It's a very interesting statement. John answered, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in your name. And he followed not with us, and we forbade him because he followed not with us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. He that is not against us is on our part. Listen to that. He that is not against us is on our part. He's, he's with us. For whosoever shall give you a cup of cold water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. There are people who are not completely committed to Jesus Christ that are still good people, sometimes doing bad things, but having trouble trying to get out of the bad things and trying to overcome it with the good. Think about this a minute. They, are, they haven't reached the decision completely to follow Christ, but these same individuals are actively attempting to do good things, to do good things, and they're recognizing the difference between good and evil, but they just haven't had the ability to make the complete commitment. That's what he says here. There's some, he said, that will offer you a drink of cold water in my name. They're not coming along, but they're offering you a cup of cold water. They're holding up your hands. Now, I know a lot of people that are not Christians that are trying to good, do good things. They're struggling. They're struggling against evil just like we are. But they're not, they're not completely disengaging. They're having a tough time making a disengagement. Our effort should be to help them do that. They're on the verge of godliness, but they're not there yet. But they're trying. They're, they're trying to do the, that which is good. There's a fellow like this in Luke chapter 7 when Jesus was confronted by some of, the, some of his fellow countrymen that said uh, when he when had uh, ended all of his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered, entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. Here was a centurion. He was not a follower of Jesus. He was not a Jew. He was not an Israelite. He was a Roman centurion. But apparently, he was a good man. But he had not committed completely to God, to Jesus. Okay. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. This man just wanted his servant to be healed. Not himself, his servant. When they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy of, of this for whom he should do this. For he loves our nation, and he is built as a synagogue. Now Jesus did not go to the man's house. As a matter of fact, he sent word that the servant would get better. And uh, the man sent word back to him. He said, uh, you, don't have to, you, don't, you don't have to come to my house. Just speak the word. And Jesus did. And Jesus said, 
when he heard these things in Luke 7 verse 9, he marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people who followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. This man was not in that crowd following Jesus. But Jesus responded to him because he was a good man trying to do good things. Got it? On occasion, Jesus would remark about certain ones who are not far from the kingdom of God. And it may be, it just may be, that the ones who want to help the good that Jesus is doing, but can only bring them so far to, bring, to offer a cup of cold water, maybe these are the ones that God is waiting before he, waiting on them to make their decision before he turns this tattered, shattered world into a pile of burning rubbish. He's waiting for them to finally make that good decision. Good people trying to do good, not knowing how. Maybe that's why we're still sticking around. So if you find people like that, point them to Jesus. And if you feel the pressure of the world, look to Jesus. Stand with him. Stand on his side. He that's not with me is against me. But also, there are some who are not completely against him, but haven't, haven't finally made that decision. Let's help them make that decision. You make the decision. You, get, you show the example and help them how to make the decision you've made for the Lord. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation.